listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So church, we titled this sermon, The Hunted King, because that's where David is in life. He has left the palace. He's on the run. They tried to murder him five or six different times. He's being hunted by the current King Saul. Even though David has been anointed king, he is not king yet. Saul still lives. And God has chosen David because he's a man after his own heart. And David had become this national hero too. Why? Because he killed the giant. You kill a giant who's your nation's rival and suddenly you are famous. And in the mess of all this, he makes this unlikely, beautiful friendship with Saul's eldest son, Jonathan. And in chapters 21 through 31, it amounts to David being a wanted man. It's like an old Western poster. If you see David, you got to go tell King Saul or go tell someone at the palace because we're going to come and we're going to hunt him. And so we see David is just on the run. He's on the run in the desert. He's getting hunted in caves. He shows up to a city. Anyone helps him in the city? King Saul comes up after and murders the person. It is a brutal, long, kind of tedious walking around all of Israel chapters that we learn the basic gist that David is in trouble and things are going very poorly. But it's really cool in this part of David's life he writes a ton of psalms. David will actually write 70 to 80 psalms out of the 150 in our Bible. And a ton of them come from this period in his life. And so instead of saying a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce and all the movements of David hiding in caves, we're going to look at the psalms because they're David's prayers. And if you want to know what someone's like, then listen to their prayers. It shows a window to someone's soul. Because I think a lot of us haven't seen a real relationship with God. It hasn't maybe been modeled for us. And so today I want to invite you as we look at a host of David's Psalms and these different moments of his life, that you would see what a real relationship with God between a real man and David and a real God who's over all when the man's going through some tough things. Once I was in Nepal and you, it was in the monsoon season, so it kind of rained every day. It was really hot. It was muggy. The sky was cloudy between that and the smog. You just couldn't see a ton up. But the evidence was kind of everywhere that the tallest mountains in the world were, were nearby. There was hiking gear. There was people offering brochures and guides and signs and packs and gears and Cliff bars, apparently that's the only thing that works when you're on a mountain is eating copious cliff bars. And we were there to go to an unreached people group and we, we did that. And as we're going through it, um, you know, it kind of left me unimpressed. There were some tall ridges. There were some mountains that we saw occasionally that were, but they could kind of fit into the Appalachian mountains. They were, they were big, but they, they weren't like the highest mountains in the world. As we get to the end of the trip, we're on top of our hostel one night. We're drinking tea. We're talking about the ups and downs of the trip. And suddenly, as evening came, the clouds all rolled away. The sky became clear in about 15 minutes. And it left us all gasping because the whole time we had been surrounded by the Himalayas. Mountains that are twice the size of the biggest Rockies mountain in America. They were gigantic. You could even see Everest from where we were, and it took our breath away. 
And a lot of times, I think our relationship with God is kind of like that. That because for whatever reason, we forget it's there, or we've never vividly seen it lived out, and so we kind of treat it as distant or less real, when the truth is that God isn't hiding, we just aren't always looking. And today you have that invitation from the Psalms to say, what is it really like to encounter God? What are the sorts of prayers that he is answering and listening? What's it look like? Because these Psalms are going to show us what Jesus's life is like. Jesus will quote the Psalms all the time. It will show us of David's struggle, but I don't want us to miss that these Psalms are teaching us to live in a broken world where we too are broken with sin. What's it look like to depend on God, to let a voice of our heart out? When David's captured by the Philistines, his enemy, he pours out his heart to God and we get Psalm 56. It reads like this, verse eight, you have kept a count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? In God, I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you. I want to obey God. I will render thank offerings to you for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. You probably have not been captured by an enemy army. But have you ever tossed and turned in bed at night? You ever not been able to sleep because there's so much on your heart and mind or had anxiety wake-ups or had dreams that kept you from really finding that REM sleep? Have you ever felt stuck by sin or things that feel like they'll never change? And this is where we look to David and he says, the strength to get out of bed or strength to find that sleep actually comes from knowing God cares about you that the tears that are keeping you tossing, he actually is collecting in a bottle. Not because he's because he enjoys your suffering by no means, it's that they're precious to him. Is it not written in his book? He knows what you're tossing and turning about. And in verse 13, it says, he's delivered my soul from death. That's David believing the gospel that God can and will Save, believing that even if life is hard and dark now, we will walk in the light of life before God. God's goal in life isn't to make you mighty, but that you would trust his might. It's not a pump-up speech, but a reality that he's the mountain beyond the clouds in your life. And you can trust him with your tossings no matter what they are. How in the midst of capture, David can proclaim, what can man do to me? It reframes this whole world to know God cares. That man and what he does is not the end of my life. Your performance review at work is not the end of your life. How your relationships go is not the end of your life. Instead, you have a God who cares. Psalm 34 elaborates. It gives a different capture scenario. He gets captured again. And this time David comes up with the idea that, man, I'm going to act insane. So they just let me go. I'm going to be so wild that they're like, let, let's just, let's just let this guy back into the desert. And it actually works with the Philistines. 
So Psalm 34 says this. It says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Remember that. The young lions suffer and want from hunger. The strong ones suffer and want for hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. David is praying his heart out. He's celebrating, but also in some despair that he's recently captured and things are still not going well. To trust the Lord means to know the Lord truly. It says, blessed are those who take refuge. To take refuge, to taste, is to trust the Lord and experience the Lord. There is no substitute for experience. I can describe pesto ziti to you all day long, or I can just bring you to my house. And if you eat great pesto ziti, which, you know, a lot of great cooks and citizens, but just want to keep my name on the top 10 list. Just (laughs) put me in it like 10A. That can be my spot. If you would know in one bite that pesto ziti is delicious and everyone should be eating it in a way my words could never quite describe. To see and experience God is to let those clouds roll away of fear, of self-protection, of distraction, and let yourself be blown away by trusting God to be God. You're not asking something of God that he's not. You're actually trusting God to be the God that he actually is. And many times we get stuck in our head knowledge or we get stuck in lack of experience, but God wants you to trust him and experience and taste. He could have used any word in the world, but he says, taste, intimately experience God in your life. That is your path forward, church, to a deeper relationship with God. It's trusting him at his word, that God is who he says he is, that he's the greatest of all mountains. Have you ever noticed the godliest people you know are the people who seem to suffer the most? Think about the godly, godly people in your life. Not people who say a lot of religious things, but the people who are actually holy. Think about how much they've suffered. They go hand in hand because it's through our fears, through our failures, through our pains in life that prompt us to fear God instead of all the stuff. And to say, God, you're bigger and you're my God. Do you believe, verse 10, that you lack no good thing if you seek the Lord? Do you believe that? That's a wild promise from God. And it's not like a throwaway line. It goes right back to it in Romans 8, 23. It says it another way. Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? If the price to save us was his own son and God willingly pays that price for you and I and all who would trust in Jesus, what do you think he's withholding from us? He paid the biggest price the universe could imagine. He's already paid it. 
What do we think he's holding back on us? God will give us absolutely everything you need in your life for faithfulness. Will he give us everything we want? No. Will he give us everything we've ever dreamed of? No. Will he give us everything that's ever been marketed to us? No. But God is faithful in salvation and to give you everything you need for faithfulness in this life. That's what it means that you will suffer no lack. God is not holding out on you and providing a spouse. What if we believe that today? God is not holding out on you and providing a child. God is not holding out on you and providing the right job. God is not holding out on you and providing a house or the right friends or the right this or this or this or this or however deep that list goes. What if you stepped into prayer with God saying, I lack no good thing. If this thing would be good for me, I would have it. That's God's promise to you in his proof as a son. I've paid the highest cost to bring you to me. Not to make you suffer through life, but to provide what you need for faithfulness. And David's discovering this at the end of a spear. He's, he's the one who killed the great Philistine. And now he's trying to work his way out of the grasp of the Philistines. Our hope is that God is good and salvation is real in Jesus Christ. And we can trust him to provide all we need for faithfulness. And that's why the prosperity gospel is just poison. It's giving hope to telling us to hope in things that God has just never promised. When the gospel is enough for us and God is good enough to trust. Listen to David's prayer in the midst of his fear, verse 17 and 18. He says, the righteous cry for help. If you want to be awesome at prayer, start asking for help. That is a humble move to just say, Lord, I don't even know what to pray. Romans 8 says he knows what we need to pray and will pray it for us if we come with humility to say, help. If you want to crush prayer, start with help. The Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I remember I was in a field, I was on a retreat one time, and I got the news that a friend had died in a freak accident. And it just rent me in half that a young, healthy man, some of y'all knew him too, and John Servati just died in this freak moment. And I remember just crying and crying and wailing on the porch because I just thought about my friend who trusted Christ and seen him prosper to be struck down so quickly. And I remember a friend just grabbing me and holding me in my shoulders and say, the Lord is near to the broken harder. He's nearer to you than I am right now. And it just meant the entire world to me to start to believe that God is as close as my skin to me. When I need to calm down, sometimes I take my left hand and I just rub it down my right arm. You can think I'm a crazy person, that's fine. But I remember that God is closer than my hand to me. He is not leaving me, he's not forsaking me. He is near to anyone humble, brokenhearted or crushed. He is coming like a freight train towards you, not to crush you again, but to care for his people. He is the God of all comfort as Corinthians tells us. 
Psalm 56 and 34 tell us about praying when we're afraid and choosing to fear the Lord instead in our life. But listen to David when he's just discouraged. If you want to get discouraged, live a life in a cave. That's a rough spot to go from a palace, the new hero of Israel, to live in like, I don't know, Golem or Shrek in a cave. His back is literally against the wall as a cave eventually ends. He is hiding in the dark. He doesn't have any easy to use light. So he's just sitting in the dark in a cave and all these kind of outlaw men have come and hung out with him, which is probably an uneasy friendship, but they're all drawn to this merciful David. So he's sitting in a cave with a bunch of very smelly men, showerless, living off the land men. And this is what he prays in Psalm 57, verse one and two. He says, be merciful to me, O God the smell among his life. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. We know how scary the storms are here in Alabama. Imagine just being out on a plane. Does this cave flood? What's gonna happen until these storms go by? I cry out to the God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. God will send out his steadfast love in his faithfulness. This man's on the run to get away from danger. And all he finds is danger after danger after danger for all these years of his life. He keeps going, but he finds God is a refuge for his soul. He found a hiding place in a cave and now he asks for a hiding place in God. Have you ever seen a bird with its chicks? That's what he's describing, like a little chick under a mother hen putting a wing over the chick. Now, to be honest, a bird is not that big. A couple of pounds, maybe 10 pounds is about the biggest bird. But to a chick, mom is massive. David's asking God, would you put me under your wing where I'm safe and I'm warm and I'm close to you and I let you be so big that I just get lost in who you are a bit. That's what a refuge means, that you would be that close to God. And it's the imagery that Jesus himself uses. In Matthew 23, Jesus, with tears in his eyes, looks at Jerusalem as he approaches. And he says, how often I have desired to gather your children together, Jerusalem's children, the Jewish people together, as a hen gathers her brood, that's the chicks, under her wings, but you're not willing. No matter how tough and discouraged you are in life, there's an invitation to come under God's wing, to be protected by whatever the storms are. You can try to hide in a cave, and we do in a variety of ways, but there is a greater hiding place for you in God. David trusts that the steadfast love and faithfulness of God hasn't ended. The storms will pass. Verse two speaks that God will still fulfill his purpose in his life. In our life, our purposes may lay unfulfilled. We may have dreams that just don't work out. The story is not just we go up, 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 and just win to the end. The story is going to do this and maybe a loop-de-loo or two. But God's purposes in your life, if you are following and seeking God, he's going to accomplish them. Even when it looked bleak in the back of a cave, 
doesn't look like he's going to be king. David probably had to really consider what happened that day when Samuel came out and poured oil all over my head in front of all my brothers, and I felt embarrassed, and the barbecue was ruined, and all this stuff. I did kill a giant, but now I'm just in a cave again. When you're in a cave again, you need to remember, yes, your dreams may not come true, but God will fulfill his purpose in your life. And that's a greater truth. That's a greater thing to build your life on. And to be honest, what would it be like in your life to let go of the angst that you don't have to be anything more than what your faithful living has brought you to today? Your faithful living towards God is God's plan for your life. If you're doing things that are unfaithful to God, repenting is the way forward. But if you're saying, Lord, I'm earnestly living for you. I'm living faithfully. I'm taking decisions before you. I'm, I'm living by your values. You can just rest and say, I don't have to be an angsting wanderer of purpose. God is going to fulfill his purpose in me. And he's doing it even if I feel like I'm at the back of a cave half the time. Psalm 42, another cave psalm, says this. Verse three, when my spirit faints within me, you know my way. Verse four, no refuge remains to me. Nobody cares for my soul. I pour out my complaint before him, God. I tell my trouble before him. The righteous will surround me for you will deal bountifully with me. Church, when you don't know the way, God still does. It's okay to say, I don't know what to do. That's another translation of the word help. I don't know what to do. Take it to God and let it be another help. When we feel abandoned, when he feels like no one cares for his soul, anyone else feel that loneliness? Even preaching on friendship last week, feel the loneliness that some authors have called it the Edenic, the Garden of Eden ache to be with other people, to be loved and known and give love and knowing to others. That's what David is feeling. And with all of his loneliness, what does he do? He turns it over in a real complaint to say, Lord, life is not going so well, but God can handle his emotions. He's not scared of it by any means. He's not looking down on David, but coming near to David. And he sees this pathway to God. Your problems in your life is exactly where God wants to work. They're not just problems that have problems. They're the actual pathway to God. But many times we say, if I can just get around this or get past this or get under this or, or do this or distract from this. When David is saying, here's the actual problem. No one cares about me. Everything has gone up in flames. God, will you help me with a specific prayer that one day I'll be surrounded by the righteous? I feel like no one cares for me. So he specifically prays, Lord, surround me with your righteous ones. Things are going terrible. Help me in X way. You can ask God specific prayers. He may say yes. He may say wait. He may say no. He may answer in a totally different way. But we are faithful to ask. We are faithful to lay our complaint before the Lord. See, here's the truth. If dependence is the goal, then our weaknesses are our advantage. If dependence is the goal, then your weaknesses are an advantage to run to God. The places in your life you're not good at stuff, 
That is the place God wants to meet you, grow you, and help you. The goal of your life isn't just to be some Christian champion of good at everything. It's to draw near to God over and over in all the things. And we see David is able to say, God, you're the God who deals bountifully with me. There's a hope in his complaint that God is still on the throne and he hasn't moved and that one day the clouds will clear. Which brings us to one of the most meaningful Psalms in all the Bible, penned by David. It's Psalm 22. And you may recognize it pretty immediately. It says this in verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. And we see David is speaking truthfully about his life. And this is the toughest question of all for the, for the Christian. Of what do you do when you cry to the Lord and he does not answer you? What do you do when you have put your complaint before God, yet God feels far away? What do you do when you do feel forsaken? This is the psalm Jesus cries out with on the cross. The custom in their culture was to say the first line of the psalm, and you mean the rest of it. Everyone who knew their Bible as a good Hebrew student growing up would just, there's no titles, they would just know the psalm by its first line. So when Jesus cries this out, he means all the following verses are being fulfilled and are happening right Now, it's a writing about David's life, but it's a prophecy about the greater David. And look at some of the things it says. It's blow by blow in Matthew 27 at the cross. Verse seven says this, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let the Lord rescue him for he delights in the Lord. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, the echoes of Eden. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. They, for my clothing, they cast lots. It's a horrific scene lived out by Jesus, dying in the nude, bloodied. Crucifixion hadn't been invented yet when David pens this in 1000 BC, but he's describing his hands and feet pierced dying of starvation and thirst and pain all at once. 
And the scene is so graphic and it's so powerful. But we learn as he's crying, he doesn't feel God's deliverance. David's having a moment of he doesn't feel God's deliverance. But we also learn that that's just not where the story ends for David or Jesus. It's not how the story ends. If you don't feel God's presence or don't feel God's immediate answer, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that God's like stepped away and put like a back in 10 sticker at the DMV. God is still with you, even if we don't feel it. Because our experience is not ultimate. There's no substitute for experience, but our experience isn't ultimate. The clouds rolled away and Everest was there. I was very close to Everest and I did not know it. It is the greatest mountain on earth. And I ignored it for two weeks at a time. There is a way for something to be near to you and obscured from you. Because we know in David's story, Saul doesn't win. God actually delivers David from Saul's hand. As dark as it was when he wrote it, David actually does become king. As dark as it gets on the cross, it says the sun gets blotted out and an earthquake happens at the death of our Jesus for our sins on this Roman cross. Jesus rises from the dead by the power of the spirit. As far as God felt away, that's just not the end of the story. Even if your emotions are real, they're not always true but we still have to attend to its realness. We still can express the realness of grief. And I know many of you have suffered the loss of children, have suffered the loss of miscarriage, have suffered the pregnancy loss, have suffered parent loss, have suffered a brother or sister, or whoever it is in your life losses. Even if you feel this sometimes, it's okay to pray that to God. If he can handle it from David and Jesus, he can handle it from you. He can. And that's probably the pathway he wants to grow you right there where we've been avoiding. God wants to comfort your soul and raise that part of you from the dead. When God, when we cannot feel God's presence, this Psalm teaches us to remember God's promises that God actually stays true to his word. Look what Psalm 22 instructs them. When we believe the Lord doesn't feel near and there's no clear reason why, look at verses 27 and 28. It says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over nations. That's the ending to Psalm 22. Jesus meant line one, and he meant the final line two. And what David is referencing and writing is saying those promises to Abraham in Genesis, they're coming true. That Abraham, before he had a single child, was promised that his family would expand in such a multitude of ways that it would bless the whole earth. It's, he believes the promises will be kept, that the kings will come through this line of Judah and eventually through David's own line. That he believes these promises are not invalid, but they're real even if he doesn't feel God's immediate presence in his life. When God feels far away, we can remember in Jesus, God has drawn both near to us and kept his promises to all people. 
the darkest places in our life, we don't have to trust our feelings. We can actually trust a God who has been good to us and isn't going anywhere. Look at what Psalm 18, though, says, because not every psalm is a tragedy psalm. There are psalms about joy. There are psalms about gladness. And David pens Psalm 18. When he's been delivered from Saul's murderous schemes, David has this to say. He says, he brought me out into a broad place. I don't live in a cave anymore. I am not stuck in a valley anymore. I'm not in a desert anymore. I'm in a broad place place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Verse 28, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord, my God, lightens my darkness for you. I can run against a troop, which is a group of soldiers. By my God, I can leap over a wall. For God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in them. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. David is thanking God for what he has done, that God's word is true, that he has promised to David and come true. And that should be our response. When you are praising God right here, think of all the ways that God has been true to you in Jesus and just give him thanks that we can leap over a wall for following Jesus as our word, our shield, our light, our light in the darkness, a lamp for us. Jesus has brought a great salvation for us and Jesus's promises never fail. You can take God at his word in the Old Testament. You can take Jesus as his word in the New Testament. There is a joy to be had for the soul that trusts God. And I want that joy for all of us. I want us abounding in joy, not that we have to cook it up, but rather we find it in treasuring God himself. That's how you're a man or a woman after God's own heart. You treasure God's heart. You treasure a God who kept his promises and will keep them in the future. But notice what it says in verse 19. It's a beautiful thing. God rescued me delighted in me. Have you ever really delighted in something? Like really enjoyed something? Like had an experience that really blew your mind or took a bite of a croissant that was perfect? Even better than that, God doesn't just tolerate you, fam. He doesn't just like, oh, I have to love them. Jesus goes to the cross not complaining. He's in pain when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he's not mad at you or he wouldn't have come. God actually delights in his people. And that can be hard to feel sometimes in the back of the cave. But the same guy who wrote the cave Psalms wrote this one, specifically after being delivered from escaping Saul the final time. That he realized, that he saw, that God not only loves you, but likes you. He doesn't like our sin. That grieves the Holy Spirit. That's to be repented of. But he likes you for you, that he made you in your mother's womb. He didn't make any mistakes. 
Sin has marred us, broken us. Yep. And God died for all of it. So that God could pour the riches of his love on you for the rest of eternity, as Ephesians 2 says. You ever wonder why we're saved? It's that he would lavish his grace on you for all of eternity. That's a long time and a lot of grace. One of the songs we sing, you'll never be more loved than you are right now. And love is a word tossed around so much. So even throw in there, you'll never be more delighted in than you are right now. What makes a family is a group of people that delight in each other. And I know some of you haven't always had that experience of growing up being delighted in as a child. But I want you to think of those happiest things and happiest memories and know God even more. That he delights in you as the greatest friend. He's on the other end of every prayer. There's not a single prayer he won't answer if it's for our good. And he delights in you always, today and forevermore. That's our fuel to get out of bed, to know the tears are going somewhere, to know the tossings don't have to be our life story. The God who's drawn near, who's kept his promises, who died for us with a heart that felt like wax because of his great love and delight in you, church. Our God can actually save, actually change us, and has come near to us to work. Sadly, Saul will wander, well, not sadly, but Saul will wander into that very cave that David hid in. That's what we read about in our opening passage. Saul is using the restroom. He's as vulnerable as a person can be in the dark, using the bathroom alone. The men accompanying David cheer him on to say, this, this is it, man. Kill him. This is it. God, Look, God has brought him into this specific cave. This is your time. This is God giving you a chance to take the throne and finish the silliness we've been running around with. But because David has been crying out his heart to the Lord, he knows this is not an opportunity to take the throne, but a test in his life. Will God be faithful to make me king, or do I have to slay this man to take the throne? Just because a door of opportunity presents itself doesn't mean you should walk through it. David would lose the kingship over this if he walked through the door. Why? Because Exodus 22, 28, as David knows, forbids cursing or killing the Lord's leader. David said, I'd rather trust God's word, even in the worst moment of my life, than take what could easily be mine. You transform when you pray these kind of prayers to God. David's a transformed man to be able to resist the violence that he so often was good at and instead trust God to be true. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.